0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: You know, I've got a, uh, a friend of mine that hates when I refer to the uh, the Dallas Minnesota matchups as the Norm Green Cup. Ouch! Uh, but tonight we'll see the Dallas Stars face off against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, joining me now to talk about all things Minnesota is our good friend Mike Russo from the Athletic. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing well, and I'm gonna. I'll, I'll say something just sort of betray my bias here to to begin the conversation. I really like the Minnesota Wild. I like the idea of what Bill Guerin's <laughs> trying to do here. I love the marriage of skill and toughness. I look at the Minnesota Wild and I say to myself, "That's the blueprint for what the Philadelphia Flyers are trying to do." Every time I hear someone from Philadelphia, and it's most notably John Tortorella talk about what they're trying to do and bring back, you know, old orange and new school skill with old school toughness and these types of things. I say, what he's saying is we would like what Minnesota has and what Minnesota is trying to build here. So what I'll start the conversation off with is I really like what Bill Guerin is trying to do. I love it. I really want it to be successful because I want more hockey like that. Um, But there seems to be a problem what is, in your estimation, the problem here?
2: Yeah, to say the least, there's a problem. I mean, right now they're not playing the way that Bill Guerin uh, built them to play like, right? And and that is a a team that goes to the net and and plays in hard areas and 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 things like that. Now they had a great game against Colorado the other day. Um, yep. You know, 85 shot attempts, 43 on goal, and Flower had a really bad game and it cost them. And and you know the 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 long um, trend now of this team not being able to score reared its ugly head once again. And and so um, they have a lot of work to do. They put themselves in a real precarious position right now, and, and it's because they can't score. And it's really uh, mind-boggling how a team that last year had the third most five-on-five goals in the league have dipped to such a degree. They're now 29th in the NHL in that same category. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they It has been uh, six games now since they've scored a goal without off on the ice. It's been a dozen games since, um, you know, seven or eight of their forwards have scored. Um, it, is, it is, this is a, uh, you know, this is a, a big-time problem right now that they are trying to figure out. And, um, and they've, again, it, 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 you've just seen regression up and through the lineup. Greenway, Felino, Hartman, Goudreau, um, a lot of, you know, Boldy has not played well at all. Um, there is just a a big time issue inside this lineup stemming from when Fiala left and and they've got to figure it out or this is going to be a long, long, hard road to get to the playoffs again.
1: Well, um, I'm glad you mentioned Fiala because is it just too simple to say, well, they've lost Fiala and by losing Fiala, maybe they lost more than they, they, that even they thought they were going to lose. Like, I know that. Yeah, I think that we all, yeah. Do you you think that that's accurate? Like, okay, we looked at, okay, Fiala's gonna go. We know the issues with Everson and the contract and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, sometimes you, you think you know what you're gonna lose. And then when you lose it, you realize, oof, it was even more than we thought.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that they always kind of discounted what Fiala brought to this team, but he performed well here for a long, long time, and for a long, long time until really last January, he was a man alone on his his line every single year. He got the short shrift in terms of line mates, and I think what it's done, you know, I think we all knew. I mean, they they traded away 85 points, brought nothing back, so obviously we knew that they were going to take some sort of uh, back, you know, some sort of backtrack offensively here, but I think what they even discounted was one, the regression that so many guys would have, but to the impact that Fiala not being in the lineup would cause those players mm-hmm. and maybe a big reason why they have regressed. Um, you know, right now it is easy to check the wild. You just you just envelope, uh, you know, Karel Kaprizov and you're going to win against them as long as he doesn't score. And before they had this secondary scoring line, and uh, and it really, one, it freed up a lot of work for the ability for the Erickson-Eck line to go to work in the offensive zone as, as the third line of this team. But it took a lot of heat sometimes off Kaprizov because opposing players, when Fiala was playing well, had to really decide who they were going to check hard. And mm-hmm. I think there's a reason why the Wild had so many come from behind wins last year, so many miraculous victories. You know six on five goals, nine multiple goal comebacks. They're they're one of two teams in the league that hasn't even had one this year, and so I, I think that that they definitely, um, you know, look, we all knew that Fiala was going to have to go uh, just with their cap situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they essentially chose Boldy over him. You know, four or five years younger, and and uh, and a lot more time on on uh, you know on the clock for him. Yeah. And so they chose Boldy and gave him the big deal. And now, um, you know, it's definitely created a problem inside the wild locker
1: room. The one thing that we do know about Bill Guerin is he is, uh, he's bold. He's not shy. He'll make a big decision. Um, He'll swing for the fence. He's not, you know, he's not going to, you know, pace for, for three weeks and think about it and go to sleep on it and wake up in the middle of the night and change his mind a few times before he's able to, you know, flip over the cold side of the pillow and get back to sleep here. Like he makes big, bold decisions and he's not shy about it. So what are the big, bold decisions you can make? You can see Bill Guerin making here because I'll be blunt with you. This is not the year to take the step back in the West. Like the West is wide open. Like the West is wide open here.
2: I agree. But the one thing I will say is I, I see a lot of deficiencies in the wild locker room, wild, career, a wild uh, wide up. And and I do think that Bill is looking at this realistically and remembering the long term plan here that they are building uh, for, um, you know, really the next two years. Right. Once the Parisian suitor buyout numbers come off the books, then this team is going to bring a bunch of young kids over from Europe and build them together. And then have a lot of money at their disposal, and that is still the end game here. And I don't think, even though uh, you know, our, the athletic Scott Wheeler has them as having the number one prospect in the league, yeah. um, I don't think that Bill Guerin wants to dip into that for rental players. And so he doesn't want to trade his first round pick. He really doesn't want to trade his second round pick, and he doesn't want to take, trade any of his top prospects. I don't think he feels like this team is in the growth period, the development process of, the, of what he's trying to build here, mm-hmm. that now's the time to go and spend a lot of his quality assets on those players. Now, would he pl- you know, make a medium-type trade? We'll see. You know, The one guy that, that we've all been writing about here the last two weeks is Tyler Petuzzi, because Bill Guerin, um, you know, I know for a fact, loves the guy. Yeah. He's starting to play really well. Um, but the issue is is that, you know, at a minimum, first of all, Detroit's back in the playoff race, so who knows if they're still going to trade him. But the issue is, too, is that, you know, I'm sure Steve Eisman is looking at it and saying, well, first-round pick at a minimum, and if not first-round pick, it's got to be second and a prospect. And I don't know if Bill Guerin's willing to do that. He mm-hmm. he said on my podcast last week that he is not willing to go and give up a top prospect or a first or a second round pick. Now, could he change his mind? We'll see. But if he starts to see after this extremely disappointing stretch that the, the Wild are on, where they don't have a regulation win eleven games, where they've lost eight of their last eleven, where they've been really um, mediocre to say the absolutely since the All Star break, I don't know if he's going to spend that now. I don't think this team has convinced them that it's worth 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 doing something like that. So, if that's the case, he might have to. You know, the one thing that I fully expect that he will do is they've got, you know, I think at the beginning of the year, he was banking a ton of cap space to try to make that home run deal at the deadline, if he felt this team was a true contender in the Western Conference. Now that it's starting to look like they're not, I think he's going to probably be one of those teams that plays banker at the deadline, and says, hello, look at us, we got the ability to add $14-15 worth of players here, let us be the third party conduit, we'll take a bad contract, something like that. Mm-hmm. It would be a shame to huh, build all this cap space that they have built up here, then not at least try to gain some more assets for judd Brackett in a potentially loaded draft
1: i was gonna say i'm glad you mentioned the name judd Brackett. he seems like to be you know not a lot people might know his name he's the the head of amateur scouting for the minnesota wild he may be one of the most important people uh in the entire organization and so far if you look at his drafts whether it's you know minnesota previous with the vancouver canucks Um, these are slam dunks. I mean, you mentioned Wheeler's prospect rankings. I mean, Judd Brackett's fingerprints already you're starting to see, even though he's only been there for a couple of years, are all over this uh, organization. Um, I I do wonder that if they go the route of, hey, we'll play banker here and we can play third party and we can help you uh, facilitate your trades as long as you, uh, you know, maybe butter the bread on on both sides here and send something over to to, to Uncle Bill. uh, I I wonder (laughs) what happens to players like Matt Dumba, and do you yep. have a thought on all the Jordan Greenway rumors that are out there? Yeah, we're doing
2: a big note, actually, as we speak on Jordan Greenway. Uh, last week, uh, Bill Guerin had a very hard conversation with him where he basically, according to Greenway, gave him a kick in the butt. And, um, and maybe that's one reason why we're starting to see Greenway play better, at least than that last yeah. week. I mean, he has had a really, really poor um, year. Uh, There's no qualms about that. 37 games, two goals, four assists. Just hasn't been the same guy. Took three penalties a couple games ago. Um, And the Wild, as we know, uh, have very, uh, you know, they might have a ton of cap space going into this trade deadline, but next year they've got, again, $14.7 million cap hit of dead money on Parisian Suter, and they've got a lot of guys still to resign, and they're going to have to shed some more money. So I fully expect Jordan Greenway to be traded. It's just a matter of when. Whether mm-hmm. it's at this trade deadline or does it happen at the draft? Um, you know they have to create money this this summer. Whether that's Alex Galagoski leaving, whether that's trading Jordan Greenway, um, you know whatever it's going to have to come in some capacity. But Jordan's not cooperating. You know I can't imagine, even though he's 25 years old, and six six, and a power forward, and we know other teams look at players sometimes still with scout size, and he was a very highly touted prospect. Um, he has not had a good year, and um, he doesn't get any production. And I don't think it makes it difficult, makes it easy uh, trading him. In terms of that Dumba, um, you know, they wild will trade him as long as they can get some sort of suitable replacement, whether it's in that deal or in another subsequent coinciding deal. Um, the wild uh, showed uh, recently that if you trade Matt, if you sit Matt Dumba for a couple of games that they give up a ton of goals and they're not, they don't have somebody right now in their system that's ready to step and play the type of minutes that Matt Dumba plays. So, you know, Bill Guerin is pretty, pretty honest in the fact that maybe Matt Dumba's quote their rental and that he keeps them. So I think that also is code that, um, that, One thing that has not changed in the last several years is that just has not been a lot of interest in Matt Dumba for whatever reason out there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Matt is somebody that I think could help any team. Uh, but for some reason teams just don't ever seem to clamor and the wild have tried to trade him a million times. So, um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Matt Dumba is still here come March 4th.
1: You know, let has been pause on, on Dumba here, because I, I'm like you, like I, geez, how many times have we, have we all traded Matt Dumba? Always going here, always going there, always going in this expansion draft and always going in that expansion draft. And he's just endured and he's stayed with the Minnesota wild for the longest time. And listen, you're way closer to it than I am. So I'm really curious to your perspective on it. It always felt like for the longest time sitting there and who knows who said yes and who said no, that it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Matt Dumba. Mike, you've heard that one <laughs> a million times. Uh, again, this is just Friday afternoon, sports talk radio, shooting the breeze, uh, Russo and Merrick. What is the wildest thing you heard about Matt Dumba? And is it more wild than Ryan Nugent <laughs> for Matt Dumba? I'm, I'm sure you've heard a few beauties.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know that the Wild have tried to trade him to Calgary. They've tried to trade him, you know, it, it, whether however it's happened before. Besser was was ODM for a long, long time yep. in Matt Dumba deals. And, you know, every every GM has at least, uh, try, you know, entertained it. And I think one reason why Bill Guerin hasn't traded him is he just has never found any traction where he just felt like, all right, at a minimum, I'm not giving away. You know, up until this year, he's had a $6 million contract and and things like that. And, and you know, it just has been hard to move somebody like that. You know, three years ago, he looked like he was going to just ascend into being one of the top sharpshooting defensemen in the National Hockey League. Yeah. And then he he fought Matthew Kachuk one December night, and the rest is history. You know, pulled his peck out of his socket and had multiple setbacks in the rehab process and just has not been... The same player uh, since, and so yeah. you know there, you know uh, there, there have been definitely wild rumors about him. Um, you know, it, I was saying to somebody the other day, Jeff, like you know what's amazing is when Matt Dumba's career ends here. You know, we can go through and actually document the number of players that the Wild have lost over the years in protecting Matt Dumba and keeping Matt Dumba. Um, you know, whether it's wow. just the expansion draft or, or onward. I mean, it's. it's yeah. a, the one it's a, the number of players that are no longer in minnesota because the wild either couldn't trade matt Dumba or chose to protect matt Dumba. i mean look at the vegas expansion draft 100%. that was all designed giving holla and eric puck and alex tuck alex Thug, me, yeah. um go yeah going in that expansion draft you know one via trade to take eric Halla. it was solely so matt dumba stayed here yeah. and it's been like that over and over and over again and and here we are at the end and um, Matt's had a good career here. Um, he's done a lot of really quality things for the community. In fact, Monday he's having another camp. Um, it is going to be uh, a very weird existence we, when Matt Dumba is no longer here next season.
1: It'll be wild. You're the best man to have on the beat. Thanks as always, Mike. You be good. We're up against it. Yep, see you, There Take is care. Mike Russo. The great Mike Russo covers the wild for the Athletic Hour 2s on the horizon. we got to go by.
3: Everything Raptors,
0: before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: So, uh, coming up here in about 15 or 20 minutes' time, and by the way, welcome to hour two. uh, I'm going to have a conversation with Joel Darling, former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, now the uh, executive producer for the NHL on Sportsnet, amongst other things that Joel is responsible for Hockey Day in Canada. His father, longtime play by play voice of the Buffalo Sabres, the late great Ted Darling. Uh, and so Joel and his father were around the Buffalo Sabers when Paul Wheeland, former Sabers PR director, was doing his job and pulling pranks. And there were a few of them. The uh, the highlight, of course, Taro Sujimoto, the 1974 draft, as the Sabers felt, and Punch Imlak certainly did, the general manager. The draft was just going on too long. Uh, they were going to make up a player, and Paul came up with the idea and the player, and the uh, the rest, as they say. Is hockey history. Uh, in the meantime, Gord Salik joins me. He is the host of uh, Leafs Nation pre and post, or rather, co-host rather uh, of the uh, the morning skate on NHL Network Radio, along with Scott Lachlan as well. Gord joins me now. Hello, Gord.
0: Jeff. Yeah, we missed the good old. The internet's killed the April Fool's jokes, and oh. um, and the and I, I can't pronounce the player's name, but it has been stricken from the records because because uh, 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 they were so pissed <laughs> that oh, yeah. you could drive you could draft as long as you want right the, the draft back then yep. you could keep going and as, as long as one team drafted and uh, and they and one of the things they liked the sabers guys punch Imlak and Floyd Smith and they they loved having hearing Clarence Campbell on the conference call having to spell the name back to them right of the fictitious japanese <laughs> yes. born player Tar- yeah
1: Taro Sujimoto uh yes. we'll live in infamy and uh, Taro <laughs> says still uh, we hear it in buffalo when we get the signs every now and then oh peachy actually I mean, you know this court. Oh, Peachy actually made a Taro Tsujimoto card uh, once oh, upon they? a time. Oh, it was hilarious! <laughs> it's just—it was it's out, outstanding. But um, awesome. You know those those. It's it's always funny too. You know, whenever I've um, whenever I've been asked, you know, which player from hockey history do I wish had a Twitter account? Like, if you had like Twitter back in like the '80s or the '70s or the '60s, or the '50s, whenever, my go-to has always been Gump Worsley. Like, I really wish that Gump Worsley, like, Twitter was around for Gump I think it would have been a lot of fun, and he's one of the most opinionated guys uh, the game has ever seen. And then I got to, you know, thinking about Paul Whelan last night after he passed away. And you think of the pranks and, you know, you know forging a note from Ronald Reagan uh, okay. declaring the Buffalo Sabres as... As uh, as America's team, and you know, saying on a, on a U.S. battleship, they're going to have a training camp, and they're going to have a hockey <laughs> hockey themed you know carnival on. The, like, just so many different things that he did. Maybe he's the answer. For, like, if 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 in the seventies Twitter was around, I could only imagine what Paul Whelan would have been able to do if he had that type of weapon at his arsenal at his at his beck and call, Gord.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I I don't disagree with you. It's Funny, That's a real real good question. My latest question is after. Adam Lowry loved blocking five shots the other night and he talked about his dream to play goal. And Pierre-Luc Dubois even said, okay, we're taking him a bit serious. He said that he thinks he could be an NHL goaltender. And I'm, you know, with the e-bug now we, it won't happen, but I'm trying to think every team's got to have a player that wants to play goal. I'm really curious. There's 32 teams. Who is the player on each team that most want like, okay, you have to, someone goes in and Mm -hmm. they're going to put their hand up, whatever. So, so we'll look at that Twitter accounts from the past and uh, emergency goalies. So we got a couple of projects.
1: Well, Paul would go in net too, like in practice. If one of the goaltenders was out, like Paul would put on the pads yeah. and he would go in net. Like it was, it, it's a remarkable story. Um, I think around, now correct me if I'm wrong here, Gord. I believe around the time that you were with the Maple Leafs, I believe that one player who, if there was an emergency situation, you know, Paul Matera was injured, whomever. Um, the leaf player that was that would have gone in, I believe it was Ian Turnbull. Am I wrong on that, or am I right on that one?
0: Well, was it Turnbull? yeah, and he and he he even had a quirky clause in his contract that um, he he would get a bonus if he went in goal. You know, he was just kind of a different no guy. Way. But he, yeah, yeah, like five hundred bucks or something, and and uh, yeah, so that so and so he stands out now. Uh, yeah, I guess he would, like you, you wonder if they said, okay, you got to put the pads on, you better go in, right? And then yeah, uh, yeah and then uh, uh, you talk about well, Paul Wheelan in practice. Uh, I was talking to Mike Palmatier. He had he had two Harrys. Like Paul Paul Harrison was his backup one year, and and Harry Brailsford was the practice goalie when Tommy played. He he was uh, manager of Parkway Honda, so Tommy goes, hey, I got a car <laughs> off him that year, and Harry Brailsford will put the pads on for a few years and be a practice goalie for the Leafs. So you know it's funny, <laughs> like a like a different era. And the only uh, and Bruce Boudreau, the only one we remember is Normie Oben came in in a game for the St. Catharines saints mm-hmm. and had to play that the, uh, we had one goaltender. I think Bobby Perron had just got suspended that day. Jack, Jack, Butterfield made a decision. So I think we had Vince Trombley in goal and Doug Carpenter didn't know what to do. So he put down like Normie Oben who wore Coke bottle glasses oh, as, no. the, uh, as the, sec, as the second as the backup and, and, and Trombley gets hurt and Normie had to go in for half the game. Right. And, uh, they named him co AHL player of the week. I mean that that took a lot of onions. So that's, <laughs> that's like because Jeff what happened back then yeah. was it's like you and I are the two goalies we both get hurt and you go okay who is less injured? Yeah. Cuz you got to play. And that yeah. was it.
1: I think um I think it was uh to, to, to correct me if I'm wrong I think it was Jerry Topazini, 1961 Boston Bruins legendary the topper would have been the last position player to go in at. It. I think it was like only for like the last Five or six minutes in a game against the Chicago Blackhawks, he would have been the last. I know there was a time where we came close that Toronto Maple Leafs Florida Panthers game, where yeah. Luongo sort of rushed back quickly from the hospital or wherever he was to to get in to get a net. I think that's um, I'm trying to remember who the, who they were looking at. Rob Tallis, the goaltending coach. Was it Rob Tallis, Tallis who was going to yeah. go in? It was going to be him that was that was going to go in. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's there've been books that have been written about these types of things, and we obviously think about you know Lester Patrick, who was the the original e bug, I guess, or the the GM bug, who you know went in after uh, Ottawa wouldn't allow Lauren Chabot to go in. Anyhow,
0: um, yeah, but that Trump anyway, that Toronto Florida game established the e bug. After that yes. almost fiasco, that the modern day e bug, uh, which is, what, what five or six years ago, that's that's where it was put in in in, in cement.
1: Do you uh, do you have a problem with it? The idea of the e bug.
0: Well, it's funny because uh, no to answer your question, no, and uh, and uh, the most popular e bug you know in in Toronto the Zamboni driver David was um, yeah David Ayers, but when it happened, remember he gave up two goals late in the period, and Carolina was pissed because they got a forty something Zamboni driver like yeah. the Leafs have been rotating uh, Ryerson. I know it's not Ryerson anymore, but York and U of T goalies yeah. as the as the e bugs, and I guess. Their their seasons had ended, so they only had a, a couple of regular season games left. So I I know I know it didn't start off well. Carolina wasn't happy, but no, I don't. And I think I I doubt now that David Ayers could even qualify to be an e bug now because I think they did put certain things in place. But yeah. no, I I, the, I I don't at all.
1: The 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 only issue, and again, I'm splitting hairs here, and I know Elliot's gonna go. Oh, fun police, here we go. to wreck everything here. Oh, fun cops, fun cops. I don't. I think it's out of necessity because there really aren't any better ideas that I've heard. So let me just establish that first. The only thing that I don't like, I I, I was happy for, for, was it Matt Berlin the other day, University of Alberta, the Golden Bears, and he went in for for five minutes and Campbell came out. I don't mind if it's out of necessity and you have to put the guy in, but when you're just doing it just to give the guy essentially a fantasy camp, which is what Edmonton did with the G Bears goaltender, that's the point where I say... Hold on a second here. Like, I like the NHL to be really special. Like, you have to be of a certain caliber. I don't care what position it is to play it. Out of necessity, if you have to have someone from the local university or the local college or, you know, high-end beer league or wherever, okay, I get it. But when you're just doing it to give someone a fantasy camp in an actual NHL game, I don't know. That's, That's the part that doesn't sit great with me.
0: I don't think Elliot's not a big scowler, but I could see him scowling right now. And I'm, you know, like, the, you just like the one at Everton was done where they had, they were home and cooled out and had a big lead. So, like, hey, when you're putting a jersey on, you're already in the NHL, you know, like even if you don't hit the ice and that. So I, I didn't have a problem. And that's why as much they're talking about, you know, just now the – um uh, what's the TRR? What's, what's, what's the expression well, now? Trade, about? Re- oh, trade yeah, related, trade, trade yeah.
1: related, trade related.
0: Well, and, and you know, the the thing is, okay, you have the right to protect your asset, but also you're talking about playing against teams that are vying for playoff spots. And you know, what's, you know, that coming into play and, and where is that? Okay. Your right is not to dress who you want, but also, you know, the integrity of a playoff race that one of the a best player or a really good player on a team is being held out. You know so anyway there's always always those kind you know of what? questions but
1: You know what if if I were if I were someone working in communications if I were a PR director of a team I was a communications director um to me the this new term trade related reason um to me this is a great way to hide injuries hang on you mean I don't have to say lower body upper body I can just say trade related reasons and maybe we thought we had a deal and maybe we didn't maybe we were exploring a deal and I can actually keep a guy out of the lineup and not have to explain it like I, I kind of compared it to when uh when chris Botta was the communications director for the islanders and they wanted to hide an injury for rick DiPietro, pietro so instead of being specific about the injury or even upper body lower body he just put general body soreness i think <laughs> at a certain age we all have gourd
0: yeah well yeah for sure well you know um and that's people are it's got people wondering a bit about chikarin right is uh it does. Is, is there a tweak there that uh we don't know about and certainly um, there, there is a shelf life, though. Even though Arizona has probably made it the earliest yet, you, like in October, it'd be a little suspicious. Okay, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think, but, but I think coming county down to the trade deadline, you're, you're 100 right.
1: Uh, okay, so to a couple of other things. Uh, tomorrow on hockey night in Canada, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. Um, front and center for the Maple Leafs, the return of Austin Matthews against the Chicago Blackhawks. And listen, I understand that the Blackhawks aren't the best measuring stick, uh, for performance, but all you can do is beat the teams that are in front of you. Uh, and that's the latest audit we have for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we've wondered about players like Timo Meyer. Listen, I still wonder about a player like Todd Bertuzzi with Toronto, uh, with the Maple Leafs. I know that when, you know, Kyle Dubas was running the Sioux Greyhounds in the OHL, that was one of the players um, that he coveted, he was playing for the Guelph Storm, could never you know, figure out a way to get him into the into the Sioux. A couple of years ago, there was all the hot and heavy rumors about Toronto and Tyler Bertuzzi, et cetera. Um, what do you expect uh, Dubas to do here in advance of, of trade deadline? What's going through your head, Gord?
0: Well, do one of those things you're talking about. Like, you've got to get uh, Kerfoot's not the guy for the second line. Like, he's a third-line guy. You've, you've got to, you know, I mean, because you're, you're talking about okay, winning one round, but you're talking about a serious run, hopefully. So, you, you know, you cannot leave no any stone unturned. So yeah. that, there's got to be an upgrade to get um, a six-player on the top two lines, whether it's Bertuzzi, whether it's Timo Meyer. You know, that's what I'd look at. Uh, is there, you know, like, like last year when they had a Blackwell, for example, Colin Blackwell, yep. is there somebody they like on the fourth line like that? Like just something, because, you know, we're still, there's just kind of, okay, this guy's in, that guy's out, this guy's in, this you know, we can't, like, we're still, we're playing Yahtzee right now and throwing the dice each time mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to figure out, like, you know, you want the teams that go deep have, you know, some of the third and fourth lines that are pretty, the, the Corey Perry or whatever, and pretty, pretty defined role. And, you know, ever since ever since Joe Thornton, you know, couldn't find a defined role for him a couple of years ago. And, you know, that, that ended up kind of lacking in those lines. So I'd look at that. And then the other one is uh, a, a depth D I don't, you know, I mean, if you can get and all those other ones, to work out, you you're better than a depth D, like a like a significant D, that'd be great. But those are kind of the three things I'm looking at. Like I'm looking at, yeah, a, t- a top six forward, uh, a depth D, uh, something like, like that. That grit, that sandpaper, that hit factor on the fourth line, and see
1: what gives. You got to, you know, you got to go full throttle. So, so here's what I wonder about, Gord. So uh, Kyle Dubas is without contract uh, at the end of this season. Uh, so much of all of the Maple Leafs' future is tied to the playoff performance of this season. So here's what I wonder about. I always try to put myself in the, in the position of different people in these types of situations. So if I put myself in Kyle Dubas's situation, I say to myself, okay, so if we don't get past the first round this season, I'm Kyle Dubas here, we don't get past the first round this season, I'll probably be looking for work. Now, Personally, I don't think Kyle Dubas has to look for work for very long. Uh, He's a coveted guy around the NHL. But I look at my resume, and my resume says, you know, elite-level players, big contracts, uh, great regular season teams, um, setting records in Toronto, etc. But I don't really have, as I try to check boxes here, because I might have to go out to the marketplace and sell my wares and shop myself around. The one thing I don't have is a major blockbuster trade. Like Dubis still doesn't have that on the, there. Have been there have been sizable deals, but there's been nothing that's been like whoa, rock the NHL. Doesn't have that. I don't know that he does it just to have it on the resume, but do you think part of part of what Dubis is thinking here is I haven't done this before. And the team probably needs one right now. And maybe I need one too, depending on what my future is going to be. What do you think of that theory?
0: Well, you know, Berkey did that. Dion Phaneuf was kind of like that. Around that the trade was. Deadline.
1: You know, that, that, was. So, that was a blockbuster.
0: That was huge. Okay, So first of all, why do we all know what's Kyle's last year on organizations that are guarded in secrecy? Okay. Like, um, and I got, Hey, uh, you're hundred percent, right. He'll find uh, probably a GM job somewhere else if it came down to it or whatever. But, I, I, Hey, uh, I'm, uh, I, we, we are station, you know, uh, we cover the Leafs, whatever, the deeper they go, the deeper the Jays go. It's all, it's all positive. I'm all for it. You know, I want to see like the, the, the Raptor type season when you win a championship and that. So, uh, mm-hmm. Kyle get an, get, get an eight year job, uh, eight year contract after I'm good with it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get this worry about being Kyle Dubas's last year. I don't like the players, you know, the players play the same regardless. Okay. And, uh, and, they obviously have faith in him about being general manager this year and i i i can't see him just making a blockbuster just for that i think they people would you know judge what he's done on on other things so i, I really don't get this thing about his last year why who cares so what you know like uh you know just uh, and 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 uh, uh if if he's the right guy for the job then he's the right guy for the job and yeah obviously if you don't win the first round uh, and again, I'm already hearing the Tampa Bay excuses. Oh my God, our bad luck. Well, you should have <laughs> won against Columbus and Montreal then. Okay, you know. Yeah. And 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 if you're going to go in the deep in the playoffs at all, I mean, you got to beat a you got to beat a solid team sometime. Columbus did it a few years ago against Tampa Bay. So uh, I, I I just I... trust Kyle get the best every other year, and will do the best this year. And the chips will fall where
1: they may. I always say the same thing about when you hear the grousing about, oh, it's Tampa in the first round, and here's the built-in excuse. I always say you're going to face good teams along the way. Do you not want to do it when you're at your healthiest? Because the deeper, the deeper you go in the playoffs, you will not be at your healthiest. To me, if I'm the Maple Leafs, Tampa first round, fine. I want to do it when yeah. I'm at, when I am the healthiest, and that is always the first round. Uh, Gord, always good. Thank you so much. Continued success. Leafs Nation pre and post. Uh, the Morning Skater on NHL Network Radio alongside Scott Lachlan. Uh Love it, Gord. You have a great weekend, pal. We'll talk soon.
0: Yeah, thanks, Rob. i love to listen to Joel, too. Joel, Joel saved my career when you left one job, and I got that job by Joel. So <laughs> treat him nice.
1: Hockey Night in Canada Radio. Absolutely. I was just keeping That's the it. seat warm for you. Just keeping the yeah. seat warm for you. That's uh, it. Okay, you, pal. You be well, Gord. Take care, pal. There he is, uh, Gord Selleck, former, by the way, general manager of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, former assistant general manager of the New York Rangers, and very accomplished and talented, a longtime time uh, broadcaster, uh, certainly in Toronto on radio, and then mentioned Hockey Night in Canada radio as well, and now NHL Network radio, uh, which he's done for a number of years. Um, Random Player of the Day is coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, it's an intriguing one, and it's one that... Um, it's a, it's a person who I think may have been one of, if not the toughest players in the history of the NHL. Week in review coming up as well. We'll talk about uh, Marty Walsh uh, being named uh, the executive director of the NHL Players Association. It was an interesting week. And, you know, Gord talked about this a couple of seconds ago. We introduced a new saying into the uh, hockey world going back to last Saturday, and that is TRR. Not HRR, that's hockey-related revenue. We all know about that. TRR, trade-related reason. We'll talk about that coming up in the week in review. In the meantime, it's a pleasure to welcome to the program. uh, Gord mentioned saving his life. This guy kind of saved my life, too, when I transitioned from AM640 to Hockey Night in Canada. He is Joel Darling from the NHL on Sportsnet, our former executive producer of uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, his father, the late, great Ted Darling. And Joel, as I've mentioned to you before, when I close my eyes and I think of the Buffalo Sabres and and, and in my mind, I see the French Connection or I see Danny Gare or Luce or Korab or Playfair, I, I think of your father's voice. Uh, Joel Darling from the NHL on Sportsnet joins me now. Joel, how are you today?
3: I'm good. How are you, Jeff?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. So uh, yesterday was uh, you know some some sad news. Um, Paul Whelan passes away, former Sabres PR man. And... You know, long-serving, and if he wasn't a day-oneer, I want to say he was pretty close to it. And when I say he was a Sabers, you know, PR director, he was more than just the Sabers PR director. He was uh, sometimes goaltender uh, in practice for the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, he was someone who ran television, and I believe Joel, you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here. I believe the Buffalo Sabers were one of, if not the first team, to have and produce their own cable TV broadcast. Uh, of their games um, he was a great prankster uh, as well he was someone that stood up to the to the Knox family certainly um, your your thoughts on on Paul Whelan before we drill down a couple of uh, of the uh, the individual stories uh, your thoughts on on Paul Whelan and and his career in the NHL with the Sabres
3: Yeah, well, certainly my condolences to his family. I mean, Paul was uh, a great promoter. I think uh, when I think of him, he he was a great promoter, and and he did it from the office of being a a PR director from the Sabres. He did join the the team a year after they they were there. He was a speechwriter, I believe, for General Motors, and he just didn't like that type of work. And Mm -hmm. the has convinced him to come and work there, and uh, he started in – you know, in their second year there and, and again, a lot of what he did over the years was to try and promote the team, whether it was the players on the ice or the building or the announcers and things like that. And uh I think the other thing I, I'll remember most about Paul is I don't think I've ever met anybody to this day uh enjoy a job more than he did. And you know, with some of the pranks and some of the April Fools jokes that he did that continued on even when he went to St. Bonaventure and mm-hmm. went there as a as a professor years later, he just he was a guy who always had fun, was always trying to, to promote the team, and uh, just enjoyable to be around. And, and him and my father got along famously, and I was looking at some April Fool shows today and uh, mm. you know, watching my dad in a wig right? <laughs> that, that Paul obviously was behind that, and watching what they, some of the things they did. But he, he was, it was all about promoting the team, and, and boy, did he do it well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if you could spend some time here and talk about the relationship that Paul had with your father, who I always maintain with all due respect to to RJ and to to Pete Weber, et cetera, I still and always will consider the the, the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Tell us about the relationship between Ted, your father, and Paul.
3: Well, I think they, they had the same type of humor. Um, they did like to laugh a lot. And I think, uh, you know, as Paul starting out as the PR director, I mean, he moved from really being heavily involved in PR to, to mm-hmm. bringing that uh, broadcast team together and started really Sabers. Uh, television broadcast, Buffalo Sabres Television, which I think in the 70s there was really unheard of at the time. So um, he, he not only was on air with my dad and with Rick Jenner over the years, but he also was a producer of the shows, and he was also uh, a directed. So he was heavily involved from top to bottom. So mm-hmm. they spent a lot of time together on the road, at the odd, in the offices, and and I think, uh, you know, together they they probably <laughs> – Came up with with many different ideas over the years that that had some fun. So they they spent a lot of time together. And uh, I know Paul, after my dad passed away, you know, always said how much he loved my dad. They got along together really well. Yeah, you know,
1: I, I, part of the story is too standing up to ownership, and that in today's day and age, Joel, as you well know, does not happen. Um, but Paul wasn't shy about standing up to ownership. Can you think of some of the more you know, remarkable or, or legendary stories of, uh, of Whelan standing up to, to, to the Knox family?
3: Well, I think certainly the thing that stands out mostly is, you know, even, even the idea of, uh, you know, um, drafting Taro Sajimota back in 74. I mean, I mean Punch Imlach was not the easiest guy to work with. And I think to think that Paul could convince him to actually do that Back then, in the 70s, uh, is is really kind of a testament to how much, you know, he he kind of pushed people to go beyond maybe their limits. And and when I think of those April Fool's jokes, I mean, the, you know, the fact that he he tried to, you know, he tried to announce uh, the Buffalo Sabers as America's team and use presidential stationery. I know. I think it was he was threatened to be arrested at one point for using that. Um, yeah. And uh, I think of Slider X, um, which was an April Fool's joke again back in the 70s, where he knew that they were going to be tearing up the odd floor in the summer, and he put out a press release that basically said they were going to put in new ice. The technology allowed it that they didn't need pipes anymore, and it was uh, a system called X. Well, even Clarence <laughs> Campbell got calls from, uh, from people from across the league, writers, and, and he answered it, uh, you know, as if the NHL was on top of technology. Of course, the next call went right to Paul Whelan. So I think he, he pushed the Knoxes and I think he pushed a lot of what they did, and uh, all with, like, like I said, having a lot of fun.
1: What did the players think? I am always curious about that because it was. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful place to work, and, and really, you know, certainly creative, and had a lot of people that that went along with it. And we think of the the April Fools' uh, shows that that Paul helped put together. Um, I know that Gilbert Perrault was, you know, a wonderful, you know, bon vivant man about town, and, and must have enjoyed things like that. Um, and I think of other Buffalo Sabres, whether it's you know Robitaille, Sean Fell, must have must have loved it. Um, what did the players think of some of the uh, some of the antics and some of the pranks?
3: Oh, I think they, they really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I, I think of even um, when I look back at kind of those 70s and some of the things that, that he did, the players sometimes were were involved in it and were part of it. And, you know, unlike maybe any other PR director ever, and, and I heard you talk about this earlier, he, he was a backup goalie. He played minor yeah. league hockey. And, uh, you know, if he wasn't in his office, he was down on the ice with the players sometimes if a goal he couldn't make it. I think Roger Crozier at the time didn't, didn't practice a lot, but he would take over for Roger. Crozier in in that sometimes uh, in practice so I think uh, you know back then that was a time when PR directors and I would even say announcers um, like my father were really close with the players so I think they enjoyed it it was uh, something different and uh, again if if Paul wasn't laughing um, uh, then they weren't having fun so that was something he pushed all the time.
1: You know one of the things about being a goaltender and I believe it was was it Martin that caught him with a shot right between the lookers like That's a dangerous spot for anybody, (laughs) like, ask anybody who's gone in there. Like, these guys, like, really shoot hard. I don't care what era it is, and I think he took one right in the mask once. Um, That's kind of dangerous, no, Joel? Like, did anyone think for one second, hey, you know, uh, PR director, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats here with your organization. Maybe this isn't the wisest thing to do here, Paul.
3: Probably not, but I think he, you know that was just him who enjoyed the game so much, and I, I think anybody maybe in that position who played at a pretty high level, if they had a chance to go on with the team, uh, I, I'm sure he took it. And and again, it was just part of his job. You know, if he wasn't helping them in the office, he was helping them on the ice.
1: Okay, so his Citizen Kane, if he's the Orson Welles of PR directors, his Citizen Kane was Taro Sujimoto, 1974 draft. Uh, I mean you've heard the stories, you know, you've, you've worked around the Buffalo Sabres, your father, um, the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres. As the years have gone on and the stories have grown bigger and bigger, give us your thoughts on, as you look back now, 1974, NHL draft, uh, Punch Imlach and Paul Whelan concoct this idea of drafting a fictitious player from the Tokyo Katanas, Katana being Japanese for sword or saber, get it? Um, they draft Taro Sugimoto. Your thoughts
3: <laughs> I think it 's one of the greatest pranks of all time, certainly, with a sports team and to think that Punch imlac was in on it with them um, and uh, and a part of it makes it even funnier right Obviously, up until that point, the event was really a closed affair for the general public, right It was only general managers and league officials that would be in a hotel room, and they would be picking uh, players. And at that time, I think there were only 18 franchises in the league. But um, they got bored, and uh, (laughs) Paul convinced him to draft an imaginary player, you know, named Taro Sajimoto, and uh, basically they they drafted him. And um, I think, you know, I even laugh when I think they, they took it beyond um, you know the draft because I think when they got to the fall and training camp was there, they even had a, a, a locker made up with Taro's name on it. So awesome. right up until training camp, you know, writers were expecting this this, this <laughs> player coming from the <laughs> Japanese league to come and take part in in the in, in training camp, and obviously didn't. And even to this day, when I think of you know signs up in the old odd that said Taro says, Taro right? says, um, yeah, yeah, and and bumper stickers, I still see them. And and in fact, I was at a game down in buffalo a year ago and i saw somebody's license plate that said uh taro. and no. uh, so the legend legend lives on and uh, yeah there'll never be another one like him he he was really unique and uh, and offered something that uh, i don't think we'll ever see again
1: okay so i grew up in southwestern ontario so we i watched a lot of toronto maple leafs games and a ton of buffalo sabers games that's where i fell in love with your dad's voice and I thought it was a real dynamic team. I loved it. Who didn't love the French connection? But one of the players that I always loved too was Jerry King Kong Korab. Uh, on the ice, fierce. Off the ice, funny. Really entertaining. There's great clips of him on the old Sven Gulli show from years and years ago. But what can you tell us about Kong's Corner? And was that Paul Whelan's idea? That was a feature that I believe a young Joel Darling, I don't know how old you were, did with Jerry Korab.
3: Oh, boy, geez, yeah. I'm glad there's no video of that available. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I was a rink rat at the odd. you know, when I was in high school, and, um, you know, that's what helped me get into this business, I guess, being around, you know, Sabres Television and the Press Box and the Sabres. And um, uh, when I was going to school at Ryerson, um, Paul was very uh, generous and wanted to get me involved in the broadcast. So uh, I was able to be a font coordinator, graphic coordinator – Um, I also produced some games, and uh, at one point he asked me to be on air. Um, And so I did an intermission segment with Jerry Korab that was called Kong's Corner. Um, so I don't know how many games I did back then, but, uh, I did it. It gave me a chance to try something different in this business. Um, I soon found out I didn't have a voice like my father's and, uh, and obviously went into the production background of it, but, uh, it was fun to do with Jerry and boy, he was a scary man back in the seventies. Oh, he was, uh, I remember he, he, he was a gentleman when I, when I did this with him, he looked like a bodybuilder. He would, he would take his, he would take his
1: shirt off, and you could like ma- light matches off the guy. He was, yeah. and this was yeah. before you know, like before sophisticated you know training and diet and all of it. Like there were guys like him. Rick Dudley was the same way, but like King Kong Korab was legit. Now, what was Kong's corner? What was the What well, was the just, segment?
3: I guess what it was it was a version of uh, you know like uh, Coach's corner. You know, Jerry. Jerry and I would talk about the game or talk about issues. So it was Love really that. nothing more than that as part of the broadcast, but I had a lot of fun with it. And again, uh, Paul, I think over the years has given a lot of kids, he, he taught at St. Bonaventure, a lot of people, uh, a lot of chances. And I just got off the phone actually earlier with Bill Whippard, who's a long time photographer with the Buffalo Sabres. And, uh, you know, when he was in high school, he called Paul and said, could I come and shoot a game, uh, with my camera? And, and Paul, um, said sure come on down he did one game that was the year they went to the finals and and here we are uh, 40 years later bill is still a photographer with the sabers because oh. paul gave him that chance so there's a lot of great stories i've seen online from kids who uh were, were students of his and uh, all speak highly of him and, and you don't see that that often i mean a lot yeah. of people yes teachers are, are important to them but I, I was really nice to see all the all the nice words about Paul today uh, certainly online and social posts.
1: yeah yeah let, let, let's finish on that one then Joel for the, the purposes of, uh, of this conversation about Paul I was like when I put this out last night uh, I thought there'd be a few people that you know remembered him and remember the Taro Sujimoto story etc et but this was like a, this was a a, a tidal wave of emotion that came back and memories and thanks and i have this memory not just about paul but someone sent me a tweet about paul's sister who was their you know their teacher growing up as well like and whether it was you know he was my university prof and i prof and i loved him and he was a genius and he was brilliant and inspirational like i had no idea what I was in store for when I put that tweet out um, you know, after his, his, uh, his, his daughter put out the note uh, that he had passed. I had no idea it was going to be like that, Joel. But as you're watching this unfold on social media last night and into today, what went through your mind?
3: Well, I had a chance. Uh, Paul invited me to come down to speak at St. Bonaventure uh, five or six years ago with Scotty Bowman. So he and I actually drove down, Scotty and I, from Buffalo and mm-hmm. uh, and spoke at, at the university there. And, you know, this was a second career for Paul. He he uh, After he left the Sabres, I think he did some work with ESPN, but then moved to St. Bonaventure. And uh, you could tell even when I was down there um, meeting the students and uh, and meeting some of the other faculty there, that he was beloved there. And uh, as I said, it was a second career there, but, but uh, I, I was, I was surprised too, to some degree that uh, all the outpouring that I did see, um, I, I knew Paul over the years had given a lot of people chances, much like me. And even when I think of guys like Jerry Korab or Bruce hood, he put Bruce hood on the air in Buffalo after his career ended, uh, you know, as a referee, but, uh, yeah, it was really nice to see that there were a lot of people out there who said he was not only a mentor, but a really good friend. And, uh, I think that's a lot of, uh, says a lot about what, who Paul was. Just love to see it.
1: Uh, Joel, thanks so much for this. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and, and again, like such a, a wonderful time. And, uh, in, in the NHL, that Buffalo Sabres squad through the, through the seventies and, you know, right there in the middle of it. I always think sports is at its best when it it has the ability to laugh at itself or poke fun at itself or have a smile. And perhaps nobody understood that more than the late Paul Whelan. Thanks so much for sharing your, your memories and thoughts, Joel. Much appreciated.
3: Thanks for having me, Jeff. Joel
1: Darling, uh, former executive producer of Hockey Net in Canada, executive producer of uh, a number of events uh, for us now at the, uh, the NHL on Sportsnet, sharing some thoughts about uh, the passing of Paul Wheland, who is a longtime and very influential um, and just a wonderful, wonderful PR director. And when I say PR director, I'm not giving him the proper credit uh, because he did so much more than that. Mention backup goaltender in practice, color voice. Uh, on ramping, you know the Buffalo Sabres' own uh, uh, own production uh, of their of their games on cable television. A real innovator, and the one thing that we think we can all safely agree on, he was one of the great originals in this game. Uh, condolences, as Joel mentioned as well, to his friends and to his family. Going to take a break. Uh, come back with the week that was uh, around the NHL and elsewhere. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Big guests and bigger
0: opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network
1: got to put on my Clark Kent's here so I can see a problem. If you're watching on 360. Welcome back to the program. Uh, I want to get to the weekend review. How much time do we have? 20. Okay, that's not bad. No, you don't. I'm okay on time today, hey, Maddie, I'm all have, right today. Did you okay?
4: Four, like 14 minutes. Oh, right. Radio time.
1: Yeah. Not actual time. Radio time. Think of inventory. Okay, right. Okay. Get to the next show. Got it, Merrick. Got it, Merrick. How you doing today, Matty Marchese?
4: I'm good. I'm just sending you that email that you were looking for. Ah yes, Kurt <laughs> Kreischer, comedian, talking about drinking Kool Aid like thirty-six ounces of it.
1: That's why, why I like fantastic. coming in here because I can actually see people and have a conversation and realize all the things that I've missed out on.
4: Oh well, you I haven't live missed out on bubble much. At home. Oh, by the way, we have an update from the Quebec Peewee tournament. Oh, Colby Armstrong's the, kid, the, Cruiser, the Penguins Elite beat Montreal two oh. nothing. So they play Brantford tomorrow morning at nine a.m. They haven't beaten them twice that they've played them this year. They're big and they're good, according to our All correspondent.
1: Right. So good luck. More Quebec PB tournament stories, please. Send them in. We'll read them off. Yeah, we might even be getting a pin. I like that. Don't spoil
4: it. I'm not spoiling don't it. Don't spoil it. but And don't jinx it. Like, don't I like said it. might. Okay. I'm not. We're we are also expecting, Um, not because you're not a golfer, but it doesn't matter. No, no, uh, no. Putter head covers with the Minnesota Fighting Saints logos on them serious i swear
1: who sent that in
4: uh i might I got, pick up I golf got to find, i gotta find it no you won't oh that's true i'll go to the driving range that you might i do like that um i'll find it but yes they so are we're, we're we're waiting
1: so because that's the only reason we're in this industry for the contra castle i'm still waiting for a clothing deal as you can tell so am i deb's got a jack victor i'm wearing a jack victor jacket right now no i, I would take other ones uh, okay, let's do... Uh, random no, player. No one wants to hear us whine about the industry. Uh, random player of the day. Who yes, do sir. we have today,
4: Matty? That would be Fern Flammen, submitted by Vivian Chase. And she was going through the list of defensemen yep. that were Boston Bruins and Charlie McAvoy and Zdeno Chara, and got down the list of blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. oh, there's another Hall of
1: Famer, Fern Flammen. Fern Flammen. Uh, I can recall uh, being at the draft 2012 Pittsburgh Day two, Jim Gregory announcing his passing.
3: Mm. So
1: he passed away uh, in, uh, in 2012. So Fern Flammen from Saskatchewan. 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 Probably? Eh, I shouldn't say probably. Everyone's going to have a different opinion for a lot of people, was considered the toughest player in the history of the NHL. Guys were terrified of Fern Flammen. Yeah. Like you talk about, you know, players that were, you know, tough and skilled and all these types of things. Like I've always maintained that someone like Orland Curtinback may have been the toughest of all time. Might have been. For my money, might have been. But the old timers will always tell me, no, man, don't sleep on Fern Flammen. He was the guy. People were terrified of him. So, he was a defenseman, uh, played for the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Actually, he was, well, he was first signed by the Boston Bruins in 43, uh, traded to the Maple Leafs in 51. When the Maple Leafs won their Stanley Cup in 51, um, as a Tragically Hip once famously sang about, you know, Bill Burilko scored the famous goal. Yeah. We've all seen it. To me, it's a perfect hockey shot. It's shot by a photographer by the name of Nat Turofsky. And to me, it captures the perfect moment in sports because... If you look at that picture, it's the moment before the event happens. Like we see Barilko diving, you see the puck going over Jerry McNeil's shoulder. You see Rocket Richard off to the right of Bill Barilko, and he's got his mouth open and he's about to he's seeing what is about to happen. And that is the game's over and the Maple Leafs have won the Stanley Cup. Your memory is it's ridiculous. A, it's a, I was just, I've just looked at the picture a lot, Maddie. Like, trust Apparently. me. Apparently. I, I think it's a perfect shot. I think it's a perfect picture. Um, and to me, Nat Turovsky is one of the great hockey photographers of all time. Who was Bill Burrell D partner? I'm going to guess it was Fern Flamman. Fern Flamman. It was, Flammen, it was a pretty good guess. Fern Flamman. Um, In the American Hockey League, he was a Reggie Dunlop. He was the uh, player slash uh, coach with the Providence Reds. Uh, In 1970, he took the head coaching job uh, with Northeastern. Yes, he was a Husky for 19 seasons, and then went on to scout for the New Jersey Devils. Now, in 1960, one of the coolest things, and there's photographs of this. I don't think there's video anywhere. The Boston Bruins celebrated Fern, uh, brought him out onto the ice, big table in front of him, and gave him, ready for this? a hockey rink shaped cake cool of course a color mean. tv which at the time like hey color that tv big D. that's yeah. that's a big deal i'll take a color tv right now a um a portrait of himself <laughs> <laughs> who puts a portrait of themselves up in their house
4: oh you would be surprised jeff Seriously? like i wouldn't but i'm certain that people have portraits of themselves in their probably
1: own. in this industry uh i would
4: almost <laughs> guarantee it actually
1: silverware some bikes for his kids and you'll like this one because this probably hits you where you live. A six-month supply of meat and ice cream. Oh yeah, I'm,
4: I feel like that was a shot. But yes, I do agree. That would be what? Like he doesn't even have and, to go Christmas shopping.
1: No, I know. And a Rambler station wagon. And the nice touch when they brought out the Rambler station it wagon was black and yellow. I don't know, but that's great because it would have been Boston Bruins. His mum was in the car. Oh, that's cool. Brought him to tears on the ice, maybe the toughest guy of all time, Fern Flamin. Uh went to the hockey hall of fame in nineteen ninety in the late fifties. Uh, alongside Ted Lindsay and Doug Harvey, he was recruited to try to start up a player's union. Players union. That went nowhere, it's but it's not a Steve union. To... No, it well it
4: <laughs> it's an it's a players' association. It's, association.
1: it's not a union. Um the other thing, and this is, this is the one thing, this is so rare that it happens. And it must be a bittersweet moment for the player involved. So, growing up in Saskatchewan, he was a big fan of Babe Pratt. Okay. Of the Boston Bruins. Now, Babe Pratt, many of you might remember, um, was suspended for? Gambling. Very good. I should know because I should be suspended for gambling or from so, gambling. So, um, when he was called up and became a full-timer with the Boston Bruins... The player that went down to Hershey was Babe Pratt and never made it back up to the NHL again. He took his hero's job. Wow. That's going to be me one day. That's going to be you taking my gig. Yeah, I guess. Like one day somewhere, like uh, we've all thought about this. Okay, who's taking our gig? You're probably taking mine.
4: The Jeff Merrick Show starring
1: Matt Marchese. Wouldn't that be something? That's why I got to get you What a header. I'm going to go behind your back and get you fired. Too much of a threat, man. Too much that threat. doesn't happen in this here, business. Hearing footsteps. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> that's Fern Flammen. That, that to me is my nickel and dime tour around Fern Flammen, who the old timers always told me was the toughest. I don't think he ever fought Gordy. How? I think, I don't know if Gordy stayed away from him or vice versa, but Gordy didn't have many, but for whatever reason, people consider Gordy to be the measuring stick of toughness at that time. Don't think he ever fought Gordy. But I think that's more more, more along the lines of, I don't think Gordy wanted to go anywhere near Fern Flammen.
4: Must have been a Saskatchewan thing.
1: So Could have been. There you go. So the only
4: only Fern Flammen stories that I have (laughs) was when I was a kid. I don't even know how we ended up with these cards. But they were, I want to say they were Parkhurst cards. But they were like reissues. So they had Mm -hmm. like a silver banner around them. And it was all old time players. And I must have had about 100 Fern Flammen cards. And what I would do is I would flip it over and look at the stats and go, This guy stunk. (laughs) <laughs> I was a kid, so I would just be like, whatever. I've got like 100 of these Fern yeah, Flamen like cards. Yeah, right?
1: 1,300 penalty men. Yeah, like
4: 30 goals, but like 1,300 penalty men. Jeff, I didn't have an appreciation for the tough guys until after I was done playing. He was nasty. Man. But yeah, so th- so that was my, I remember seeing him, I'm just like, this guy's, this guy's no good. Why is this guy in a pack with, you know, Johnny Bauer and, ba- and like all these other guys and Gordie Howe, and I'm just like, why is this guy here? Oh yeah, he's a Hall of Famer, <laughs> right?
1: Good one. I love it. Fern Flamin. Um, So for your chance to uh, t- to nominate your own uh, random player of the day, it's pretty simple. Uh player comes into your mind, off to the email, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Uh, send that sucker in. And I
4: apologize to people that we haven't gotten to their thing. Like, there's a lot. We get a lot. It's okay. So we try. We try really hard. Every okay. Day, every day we get one.
1: Okay. Week in review. What do you got, Matty? We'll be what, quick. Uh, what spiced your chili? Uh,
4: Marty Walsh, officially named as the executive director of the NHLPA. And as I did not read in the release... Uh, thanks to Jonathan Weatherden to pointing it out to me. Um, they will be introducing him in March once he's done <laughs> with the U.S. government. It's kind of busy with the White House right and now. I, and I thank Jonathan for saying, uh, "Don't worry, you're the not the only one who did not see that in the release." So I'm yeah. glad I wasn't the only one paying
1: not paying attention in class. You know what I wonder about with Weatherden? Because Weatherden's been there for a long time. Like Weatherden mm-hmm. goes back to the Bob Goodnow era. Like he's been through all of them. Like we talk about survivors. Mm -hmm. Right. Like um, here, for example, Roger LeJoie is the survivor. Yeah. Like how many PDs has Roger LeJoie gone through? How many lineup changes has Roger LeJoie gone through? And he endures and he's still here. weatherden has been like the endurance man in the NHL Players Association. He's been there from good now, now up to to Marty Walsh. But I don't think he's ever had to deal with the White House. No, this is a different thing. Like like, somewhere down the road, I want to have a car. I'm like, listen, he's really busy right now. But I want to have a conversation of like, how does that work? Like, you're the Players Association, and you're essentially negotiating and trying to hire someone from the White House. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like you're hiring, you know, Ted Saskin or Paul Kelly or Donald Fear. You're dealing with people at the White House.
4: Yeah, this is a totally different. Well, and and this is a totally different animal for the NHLPA. Like this guy's a heavy hitter. It's not, and I'm not saying that the other guys weren't because Donald Feer especially had his, he had his history with baseball, but this is, this is next level. Mm-hmm. This is a totally different level that we're talking about bringing somebody in. So I'm curious to see how it works. I just got I'm an curious email. Curious to see what his
1: first job is. Like, yeah. What, what, is, what his first order of business is, which I would imagine get to know the players. I just got an email from Paul Patsko, by the way. What's Paul saying? Uh, he's asking, he said something about Fernie Flamman. Oh, do it! So
4: Paul. Bernie beat for- How twice, and there is oh. a video of it on Fern Flamen Night. So I will forward
1: that. Actually, he oh. sent he sent it to you as well. So there, there you go. Uh, there you go. So Paul Patsku, uh, bless him, is a treasure. For those that don't know who Paul Patsku is, shame on you because he is one of, if not the leading hockey researcher mm-hmm. in the world, and one of the the one of the the absolute gems of this sport. I've spent so much time talking to Paul in my life. Yeah. And every conversation, like, honestly, Maddie, every conversation I've ever had with Paul, I come away from it saying, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wonderful, like, man. Like, I would love to be able to empty that guy's brain on some show. Like, the idea of downloading brains now is pretty intriguing for a lot of people. I would love to download his hockey brain <laughs> somewhere on a podcast or a blog or something. Just like... Completely empty Patsko's brain. Yeah, I, I, my, I Mark, know he my. Deserves it. He, so he did fight Gordy twice. Apparently, eh? yeah. Well, so so there you go. I didn't think that they ever mixed. See, that you a, just oh, learned something right. from
4: Paul Patsko again.
1: Every day, man. I'm telling yeah. you. Every time we talk to
4: Paul. Okay, this one's my new favorite. Um trade related reasons or TRR trademarked from
1: now make on, headlines.
4: whenever i'm off this show yeah you're trr i'm trr you know what? i'm actually kind of pissed at myself that i didn't think about that in that moment because that's when the <laughs> gabrikov <laughs> thing happened and then you said it the next day i'm just like man why couldn't you come up with that
1: trr from now on i'm not i'm no longer i am i on assignment like the other day when we went you, to do where you shows, actually sure. were on assignment well it was it was a assignment it, it sounds kind of douchey when you say always oh, on an assignment. We be on assignment
4: that kind of sounds you, radio you. douchey, doesn't it? Well, I mean, they say it all the time. You were on assignment,
1: you were you were elsewhere. Just a lazy way to say he's doing something else <laughs> right now. Because I got to the I got to the rink for my kids' practice, and uh, my buddy Sean pulls me, and I goes, "So you were on assignment? What was your big assignment today?" And then we played the big assignment the next day on the show—an interview with the Maple Leafs defense. Yeah, I was uh, about it.
4: Okay, this one I wanted to get this in before the end of the show, so we got about a minute and a bit. Okay. Um, unheralded goaltending performances this week. Connor Ingram oh. and Kevin Mandalees were fantastic <laughs> this week in games that, let's face it, yeah. we were not expecting. Um, the Islanders was the one for Kevin Manderley's where he was great. Goes into overtime. He was awesome. And then Connor Ingram with the uh, the, the old 0-0 zero, zero shutout. Um, yes. And it goes into the shootout. He's solid. I mean, these are types of performances, and especially it's for the two teams that they're playing for. They're not playing for anything. Ottawa's out. Arizona's out. We know that. Mm-hmm. But to have those kinds of performances, for me, it's even more impressive because the teams that they're playing behind – not as good as some of the other
1: teams that they're playing against i don't know if you watched any of that uh any of that connor ingram game in ingram game against the tampa bay lightning it was fascinating watching the bench shots to see like how frustrated sam stamkos and sorelli and yeah. kucherov like all of them like they were just like fire a shot he'd make a save spectacular or otherwise just be in position and it'd be like that Oh, Up to the heavens. Oh, to the heavens. God, I did I, it again. And it's like, you just get that feeling. You've been part of games like this, either as yeah. a player or a coach, where you know, like, nothing's going in. Yeah, you, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing. And you know. It's, Real early. <laughs> and it's like, oh, crap, we still got, like, 30 minutes left in the game, and nothing's going in. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Maddie. Uh, thanks to everyone. Thanks to Jen. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back on Monday for the Merrick, soon-to-be Marchese experience here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Take my job one day.